Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to Reimagine Work, a podcast dedicated to questioning our modern conception of work and its role in our lives. I'm your host, Paul Millard, and I have conversations with philosophers, authors, creators, freelancers, and vagabonds who are trying to make sense of this question in their own lives. Join me while I try to navigate the emerging future of work. If you'd like to read more of my writing, explore this podcast, or find ways to work with me, you can go to think-boundless.com. I am talking with Michael Ashcroft today. We are doing a bit of an experiment. Uh, I have been navigating the self-employment journey for the last uh, three plus years and connected with many people, including people like Michael on Twitter, who is contemplating taking his own leap. I think he is um, on his way to making a leap. And we thought it'd be fun to document what the journey looks like. So I want to talk with Michael today before he's taking his leap, as he's preparing, how he's thinking about it, what he's afraid of. And then we're going to do another interview maybe before he takes the leap and then after and kind of see what changed, what evolved. Uh, So welcome to this uh, experiment podcast episode uh, exploration, Michael. Thank you very much. Um, It's going to be good fun, I think, uh, to have different snapshots of this journey that I'm going on, particularly given that we're kind of doing this, you know, almost in secret from the rest of the world at this point. Um, And then in future, there'll be kind of, it'll all come out at once. It should be good fun. Talk to me about your story you have about who you are today. Sure. Good question. So, um, I guess there's a couple of uh, ways into this, so different perspectives on the same narrative. I'll give you the uh, the conventional professional one first, um, and then we can dig a bit deeper. So right now, I am an engagement manager at KPMG. Uh, I work in infrastructure advisory, working for many clients in the energy system, um, how they navigate the transition to what we call net zero carbon emissions, which is a, a big initiative in the UK, um, part of the decarbonisation plan. Um, I've been working for the last 10 years in energy system innovation, so these physics, all that kind of thing. So it's kind of, it's a very, um, quite mainstream seeming. Um, I can attach it to things like, um, you know, innovation is just a, a green spaces. This is part of my narrative. I've always been the guy who's worked on climate change type things. Um, now, at the same time, um, there's a kind of secret life on the side that's, I guess, quite public on Twitter, so it's not that secret, but it's secret from the people at work, um, which is that I'm also a life coach. I'm an Alexander Technique teacher. Um, I'm particularly interested in stuff like undoing coercion as we apply to ourselves, um, helping unlock the kind of the innate capacities that we have. And I really think that as we scale up the the undoing that we've placed on ourselves, that would unlock much broader um, and like and more effective capacities within ourselves that are currently being impeded by different kinds of programming. Uh, so that's the other half that I'm working on on the side at the moment and hope to branch out into one day. So when did this secret personality uh, start to emerge? I mean, there's always been the secret side personality. It's just kind of had different shapes over the years. Um, I guess I started the Alexander Technique training when I was 26, so in 2014. Um, I didn't know where I'd go. It was just like a hobby um, that I just kept going back to. Um, and as I progressed up the corporate ladder, 
um, I found myself kind of enjoying it less and less. Um, I had a, a burnout experience um, around when I turned 30 and 31. Um, and ever since then, I've not really recovered. Um, so I'm, I think I haven't really healed from that. And, and how, uh, how old that, are you now? I'm 32. So it was when I, was, I turned 30 and burnt out, basically. Um, pretty much the same time. What do you mean by burnout? I, my working hypothesis is that when people are talking about burnout, they are really talking about something that is like a disconnect, right? There's, there's some part that was either believing uh, the narrative of a career mindset or um, who they were as a person. And then something kind of breaks, right? Mm. Um, Some people have described it as like um, the soul, right? Realizing the soul has been numbed and Mm. then uh, burnout is really the slow kind of like, this would be like the David White view um, Mm. of things. Uh, What, what is burnout for you? So my experience was quite stark. Um, I'd been working pretty intensely for about four, four months, kind of the 70, 80 hour week mark, which basically just means kind of go home, turn the laptop on, weekend, turn the laptop on kind of thing. Um, I didn't have to, but there was, a, for various reasons, I kind of felt like I, I should. And then one, one morning, I kind of just woke up and I was basically dissociated. Um, so I was looking at my laptop and it didn't make sense conceptually. I was looking at a bright screen of colors and shapes, but I couldn't make sense of the meaning behind any of these things. So I was just looking at, you know, literally like not emails, but like shapes of letters. And I couldn't go beyond that. And that, I went to the doctor and I just, I didn't know what was going on. It was quite scary. And that actually took me a few weeks to get back to a kind of sensible baseline. And then a few months to get back to kind of working, workable baseline. And I still think that in the work context, I now have a kind of shield mechanism that prevents me from really fully engaging because I know that that's possible. So I'm still at wow. kind of 75% capacity all the time in the corporate office, that kind of, in my own stuff, I'm fine. But in that context, there's a kind of a handbrake is still on a little bit. Wow. Um, what have people noticed at work? So I've changed jobs since then. That was a, that was my old employer. Um, people definitely noticed at the time because I had to say, say things. I think in my current position, people probably think I'm, well, this is my perception, that I'm a little bit lazy, that I'm not kind of playing the game that they're all playing because they often will work stupid hours um, right. in, from my perspective. Um, or that I just have very firm boundaries, um, which, I, which is true, I do. Um, so either they think I'm you know, mature with my energy or they think I'm a slacker. It's hard to tell. We don't really talk about this stuff particularly openly. How have you made sense of that experience? What is, because I think a big part of, I had probably not as an acute uh, burnout situation, but I resonate with almost being frozen, right? Um, And I really had to kind of understand where that came from for me. For me, it was, I had kind of become a person I didn't like. And that scared me so deeply that, I was almost frozen to continue. Mm. Um, like I was so scared to keep going to find out what would happen to me. Like mm. I was giving over power to the system. Um, and that was kind of the trigger I, I like had to escape and I didn't have as much of, of a plan and we'll talk about what your plan is, but what's been the narrative for you for like sense-making of that? I feel like it was a, a message from a part of me that knows or knew better than the rest of me knew at the time, kind of, this is not the path. And I've always, I've always dreamed of having a portfolio career being free of uh, the structure of employment, but I wasn't really doing anything towards it materially. And then this happened and I, I just suddenly realized that I'd never forecast my, myself five years into the future and thought, yeah, I want my boss's job or I want their boss's job. I, I I'd never wanted that. And this was just a kind of a, being hit around the face by myself kind of reminder of hey i'm gonna make you suffer for a while so that you finally take this thing seriously and it's been it's been drawn out it's you know it's lasted a few years of you know long dark night of the soul kind of thing which i now think i'm emerging from there's that kind of like 
identity conflict was definitely quite a strong one. Yeah. One thing that jumps out with the things you're creating, I think you're sharing things around the Alexander technique. I think you're sharing things around writing uh, your own journey of making sense of what happened. And I just get a sense of seriousness with what you're writing about. Like this matters, like this, this stuff matters. Right. And I think that is really impressive um, to see because there's there's so many things pushing people to uh, not share, um, to not put themselves out there. And like just to keep people like people are happier if people kind of don't make noise, just put their head down and go with the flow. Um, do you does that resonate with how you've kind of thrown yourself into all these things you're creating? Yeah, very much so. Um, and it wasn't planned. Um, it's been entirely emergent. Um, so I, I, last year, I took Building a Second Brain and then went through Rite of Passage about this time last year. And I realized that I could share my process. And by sharing my process, I discovered my process um, and discovered what works and what I like. And all this stuff just kind of happened by itself. Um, if I, you know, I, I couldn't have coached myself into this, I think. Um, and similarly with the Alizana technique stuff, I, it's probably the worst thing you could pick if you wanted to create a kind of online business thing. It's there's, there's no language around it that makes any sense. It's niche, it's obscure, it's terribly named, and it's almost like a wordless experience anyway, even in person. So <laughs> I would not have picked this <laughs> and yet here I am because it just kind of, it kept coming up and I was like, oh, this is cool. I like this. I'll just see what happens. And then here I am about to launch a course on it. Um, but I didn't kind of think, oh, I'm going to do a course on Azan Technique. It just kind of kept coming up as like, talk about this, talk about this, talk about this. Right. Yeah. I mean, that resonates with me. I think my approach has been, how do I go as slow as possible while still listening to the signals, right? There's all this tendency to be, you have to make money, you have to scale, you have to take advantage of every opportunity. And I've kind of, I see those opportunities and I kind of just block it, say, okay, not yet. All right, I need to hear from a few more people. And then people start saying, okay, this is resonating. And then that's kind of my own cue to say, okay, is this something I want to actually do? All right, I'm going to focus on it. Um, so it seems like these things are resonating with people. Uh, you've started to make money doing things on the side, which I think I is have, a yeah. huge first step for people. I made a little bit of money on the side doing random things, but even that just gave me confidence that I can make money in a non-paycheck way that like it was possible. Um, so where are you on your journey and what do you see as next? Even if you don't have set timelines. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one because I'm, I can see myself holding on to both identities at once and the other, the old one hasn't let go yet. Um, so right now where I am is I spent the last couple of months doing these um, taster calls with people from around Twitter, which has been great. I'm about 30 now. And I operated them on a generosity model, so pay what you want kind of thing. Um, I think it's more than $1,000 now people have donated, which is, which is just amazing, um, given that I didn't necessarily ask charge them for this it's just they wanted to give me um contribution i'm also coaching people um so i've got three or four clients who i coach in my evenings um kind of the 8 p.m um uk thing for people in the us um which is great and i'm building this online course based on the calls i've done um which it kind of just reproduces the structure of the call and is designed basically to kind of remove the need for me to be there um, because i now have a lot of people who want the call but i haven't got time for that so my plan is to launch that um, and do some coaching at the same time and have that support me on an ongoing basis. In terms of timelines, I'm a little bit caught up because like, there's certain dates at KPMG where, oh, your sign-on bonus will release itself at this date. <laughs> the annual right. bonus is on this date. Um, there are these projects going on. And honestly, in the context of haven't yet proven that I have a thing to jump to, expensive flat here in London. Um, and old identities the actual quitting moment is a terrifying prospect it's fine to build stuff on the side and that's kind of fun but then like it suddenly becomes real and that's not quite there yet but i, I have a 
provisional date of end October for when I resign in my mind. Yeah, I found that most people I know, there's no perfect date. The way the corporate world is set up is it's almost there's almost always a looming deadline in which you'll get more money, even just the monthly paycheck or weekly or however it's paid, right? It can be so big that it's like, okay, another month I'll save this, another month I'll save this. Um, there's no like right moment. I'm the worst person to take advice from. I left after like two and a half years. And if I just stayed, I would have made another bonus and another um, kept some of my sign-on bonus, which is pretty sizable. Um, but yeah, so October, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid that the whole thing won't work. Um, even though I have now plenty of proof points, I've built a lot before taking the leap. I guess I'm afraid that for some reason, this whole thing is an illusion in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a bigger fear though, actually, is that whatever it is that's stopping me from performing highly and enjoying my corporate jobs will show up in the side thing, if you like. Um, so currently it's not my job, it's a hobby. Um, therefore it's fun and free and easy. Um, but suddenly when I have to support myself with coaching and courses and freelance consulting, or whatever else it might be, I'll feel like that coercion element again and kind of resist and then suddenly find myself without a regular paycheck um, or sick leave or whatever else to fall back on if I need it. So that, I think that's probably one of the big fears as well. And that's real. I think I've experienced both. Um, I think a general feeling of this might not work, what happens if I can't support myself doesn't really go away, but I've almost come to see it as a feature. I've kind of tamed it a little, um, but I see it as a feature now. It's basically reminding me that I am responsible for my life in a way that I didn't get as a paycheck employee. Mm. Um, Even though I was, I was just kind of a little blind to it, right? Um, you can get fired, but from like knowledge jobs, it's not that easy. Like you need to put in a little effort to get fired. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, it would be, uh, it'd be quite impressive at this point to get fired. I think. Um, and the second fear that's, that's a hard one too. I think that's something I've really been afraid of. I'm constantly talking about this with my wife too. It's like, we can't create jobs for ourselves. Mm. We need to keep this playful fun, engaging, and aligned with like the things we actually want to keep doing. For me, I'm willing to compromise a lot of money to make sure that happens. Not pursue consulting projects that could pay me more, make me feel more financially secure, not pursue things at a faster rate that might um, make things more uh, stable. Um, do you, have you ever gone through the exercise of... Um, so I have two... Uh, statements I typically have people go through when they're about to take a leap to freelance is like, I, and you fill out these statements. It's like, I am um, still a good person as long as I earn X this year. Have you gone through that mental exercise? I've not. I've not. Yeah, no, I haven't. I think I have some implicit beliefs in there. Um, yeah. And I think from what I've been saying to friends and family, I've been kind of benchmarking against my base salary currently, which is silly because that's a fairly large number. Um, but it's kind of how many coaching clients or sales of coaching of courses would I have to do to meet that number? That's kind of where a benchmark is. It's not coming down. It's, you know, no bonus, no, no annual leave, no healthcare, whatever. But it's still benchmarked against my current number that hits my account every month, if you like. Um, that isn't sustainable. I think they'll have to come down for a while and if it goes up again, then cool. But I need to make that adjustment. Yeah, well, that's why I like the exercise because you actually have to write it down. And if you're about to write your former salary, you're like, wait a second. (laughs) Um, And then the other statement is, how many months are you comfortable going without earning an income? Yeah, okay. I haven't done that one either. Um, I've thought about it and honestly it's not long without earning any income I think this is why I've been putting so much work into building up stuff on the side because I mean my my background is not particularly wealthy Um, 
and I've I've only been earning highly for a couple of years. I was at high cost, so my my savings is fine. I could last like a year if I sold everything, um, but I don't think I don't want to do that because it took me so long to get here. It took me ten years of working to get to a point where I could last one <laughs> without working. Um, I don't want to go another ten years have to earn one more year off if you like. Um, no. So I have quite I guess I do have quite high money anxiety on that if I look at it from that perspective. Yeah, I think so. The way I looked at it was I, I worked backwards and I said, okay, what is my life cost? What is a good life cost? And then I said, okay. And this was when I was in New York. So it was actually pretty high, but it was a mm. lot less than uh, what I was making. And mm. I said, okay, this is what the life cost. I have that much in savings. This will give me about a year of this life. And if I don't earn any money, this is kind of an investment in just life, like living. Yeah. Um, and then when I left, I actually dramatically lowered my cost of living. So that got extended. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to make money and I said, okay, now it's like, let's keep this going for five years. Right. Um, but I think when you're in your shoes, you're very just like the first three months are going to be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, um, like how, how are you prepping for that or thinking about it? So I guess there's a few big things that are aligning kind of naturally. So I'm, I, I run a nice one bed place um, in London. The contract ends in April, um, which is roughly when if I were to stay until my bonus, which I probably won't do, then it would be the same time. So at that point, I wouldn't renew. I'd have, obviously, I wouldn't take on another two year expensive contract. I'd go somewhere else and it just brings up all of this. Oh, I'm quitting my 10 year job, my, 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 ten, my career, if you like, mm-hmm. I'm leaving my home for the last three years and then what? Um, so I think what I'm doing is just building up enough of a picture of what then what looks like and enough of a financial buffer. I could, I could totally quit now, forego those two bonus points and just hope for the best and I'd be fine probably. But I, I am finding myself kind of know build up an emergency fund, I use YNAB, like how many months ahead can I fill up all my budget categories, <laughs> if you like? Um, how much revenue can I already get from coaching? How many, like, can I get a course out there and prove already that I'll generate this much money? All of these things before I let myself do this, um, even though I know I could do it now and probably survive. Yeah. And would people help you if you ran out of money? Yeah, Totally. Um, but there's a feeling there of failure in that, yeah, isn't there? Um, that's w- weird, I, right? That we think of that as failure. Yeah, because it's like if I'm going to take such a big risk and leap, and then fall flat on my face, that kind of implies I didn't think it through, or that I'd let go of, you know, particularly in a pandemic, right? <laughs> I mean, people are being laid off left, right, and center. Um, I'm, you know, my colleagues are very much like, we're very lucky to have jobs. We're very safe and protected from all this stuff. And you're going to quit in the middle of this. Um, Mm. It's very easy to then kind of look back and think, well, that was dumb, wasn't it? Um, And I guess I want to avoid finding myself a situation where I didn't give myself enough runway. I didn't think it through enough. And I end up just having to come back to another job that I didn't necessarily want um, because I didn't work out. It's been incredibly helpful to one, make friends. Um, and I think it's something you probably have done better than I did. Um, I think there's a better ecosystem around doing what you're about to do now than there was three or four years ago. How are you thinking about just your friendships and like your current friends who are going to probably, I imagine most of your friends will stay in the corporate world for the rest of their life. Um, how are you yeah. thinking about that new friendships, how you want to m- live in the future or, or are these just things you don't want to think about because they're too uncertain and stressful? <laughs> I am. I am thinking about it. I guess I'm, I'm fortunate that most of my friends in London are actually like the international. They're not, oh, wow. they're not British. Yeah. Um, so Italian, my girlfriend's French. Um, most of my friendship, most of my friends are from, from Europe actually. Um, which means that there's always been this idea in my mind that they might just go home. At any point, um, it's very much like being from nowhere rather than being from here kind of vibe in my life. Um, 
And at the same time, I think I'm, I don't know, for some reason, the generation I am, you know, we are um, growing up with the internet, making friends online isn't impossible. Uh, there's, there's a way of doing it. We're having a conversation because of very, you know, we had various touch points. We reached out and it was, it was good. Um, so I'm making loads of friends via Twitter, plenty who I met in real life as well. And I kind of have this confidence now that that could just carry on. And I would meet new people when life restructures. So I'd, I'd hang on to the old friends who are, who I'm going to stay in touch with. Some will fall away. Um, and others will be kind of emerge. And that's fine. But I guess, as you were saying, when you did this, there was no ecosystem of this part of Twitter, shall we call it, um, where you can kind of trust that that exists. So I guess you were kind of more alone in your journey than I would be going into it now. So that feels very different. I found out about uh, Kehi. I don't know if you know mm. uh, him, yeah, but him. Uh, about, what was it? Six months after I left at a conference. And then I read cool. his story and I was like, oh my God, there are more <laughs> humans like me who blew yeah. up a life that made sense. And uh, it was such a key part to my journey. And I think there's a shared vulnerability when I talk to other self-employed people, it's like, oh, hey, you don't know what the future looks like for your life too. So let's form a deep friendship just in case we actually need each other. Yeah. Um, but in a genuine way, it's not like a um, understanding. Whereas like full-time paid knowledge work is a very, very unique setup in history. Mm. People are making enough such that they almost don't have to rely on any relationships to get their needs. Yeah. Um, did you find that change as you started to make more money? Uh, oh, interesting. So I definitely, I can now live on my own, um, which was a big change from earlier on when I had to share either with friends or with partners. Um, yeah, actually, um, I have found that. Um, and I can see it continuing, that the more I earn, the more I could become insular, the more I could rely on food delivery services and just kind of stop doing the things that make humans human. Um, and of course, when you do that, the time available kind of easily fills up with more work. So you earn more such that you can pay for someone to clean your house, that you can pay for someone to make meals for you, that kind of thing. Um, and you realize that you're part of this it's not quite the rat race, but you're, you're paying for things that you wouldn't otherwise need if you didn't do the job you were doing. Um, so it's interesting to see how that will unwind itself as well. Um, suddenly when the idea, the opportunity for connection with people, um, the opportunity to do more things for myself will reemerge. What's your prediction for how you think this will go for you? I, I'm quietly confident actually. Um, there's a couple of big unknowns. Um, so I don't know what my living situation will look like, but I'm sure I'll figure it out. But I, I think, I, I feel like I've proven enough to myself now through side experiments. And I have enough of a following, for example, um, that I can survive for long enough. And once I've let go of the, the, the job situation, I have a suspicion that a whole bunch of energy will get unlocked. And I'll just start doing things and creating things and talking to people and going to places and whatever else that I cannot fundamentally imagine right now. And it'll be that stuff that shapes my life going forward. And what I'm doing now is a kind of, I want to keep coaching. I want to keep making courses. I want to keep teaching design technique, but it's not all I want to do. And I'm curious, like what else will show up? And that's why I'm doing this. It's in service of that guy that I'm doing all this, I think. Yeah. It's, uh, I read this book, uh, Rebecca Solnit's uh, book, A Field Guide to Getting Lost. <laughs> and I think one thing that like knocked me away was uh, her quote is, the thing that nature of which is totally unknown to you is usually what you need to find. And mm. finding it is a matter of getting lost. And it's, it's so good. And <laughs> I don't think anything captures uh, what happened to me better than that. Um, but I became lost without the intention of getting lost. Mm. 
And I feel so lucky that that happened to me. And yeah. that, that is so hard to articulate. And I, I think it's so cool that there are people that are talking about these things now and you're kind of going into it uh, knowing that you might get lost, but there could be yeah. something cool on the other side. I have this uh, model of taking a leap, which is um, people, a lot of people struggle at work and have this desire to escape. And that's kind of like the n certain pain, right? And then leaving on your own is like this uncertain pain, right? Um, and most people are gonna choose the certain pain over the uncertain pain. And that makes perfect sense. But the only thing that tips the scales to go towards the uncertain pain is if you pair it with a certain sense that you might find something interesting. Mm. Yeah. And it sounds like that's where you are now, which is really cool. Yeah. I I've always had this, um, we'll call it an implicit sense of you should just do this. Don't ask why just believe me and you'll find out when you get there kind of thing. That's how I went into Alexander technique. I had my first session and found it baffling. Um, but, I was like, oh, this is really important. Keep going. You'll find out later why this is important. And I think now I am. Or maybe I will even more in a few years' time. Um, so I definitely have learned to trust that mechanism. And at the same time, I think for your model, if you've experienced the kind of the pain of the, cer the certain pain in a certain perspective, um, and suddenly you realize that it's, it's intolerable over your entire working life, it's like, oh, it's this every day for 40 years, if not worse, because I'll be moving up and more responsibility, more stressed. And you just think, uh, no, <laughs> I don't want that. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll go and explore the uncertain pain and the uncertain benefits, but I can't keep doing the known pain in this way and then look back and think, well, I wish I hadn't done that. So fast forward from that part about three months later and Michael has just quit his job. Let's check in and see how he feels. So where we are now is that Today is what Sunday, fifteenth November, and I just resigned from my my corporate job um, on the Wednesday. Just gone Wednesday, um, so I nice. on Wednesday. Yeah, it's very fresh. <laughs> so, yeah, so very much like in the notice period, which in the UK is three months for me, um, and yeah, gearing up for a, a massive life change. <laughs> honestly, that is uh, so. Talk me through like that day. How are you feeling going into it? How did you decide that day? And uh, what were some of the like expectations versus reality that happened? Yeah, it was, it's an interesting one because I've, I've had it on my mind for a while. Obviously we spoke a few months ago and it's in the background. And the thing that actually caused me to pull the trigger was quite mundane in its way. Um, I think there had to be a, a catalyst. And, and that was the fact that so I, I live in a, a one-bedroom flat here in London. It's quite expensive, and the lease on it expires in March. Um, so I'd have to renew it for another, like, 18 months, 24 months, and commit myself to a high income to be able to afford this place. And I was like, I don't want that. I don't want to renew this place. And then layering into that, I'm like, actually, I don't want to leave this flat at the same time as I leave the job. I want a good month clearance just living here um so i can kind of decompress and think about what i want to do and live off savings or whatever and then i just suddenly realized oh that's now like i have to quit now <laughs> kind of thing like i just misjudged the date so i looked out when my lease ends like oh i should just quit now then okay so i did <laughs> basically um and in terms of actually quitting it was i mean i've done it a couple of times now but it's, it's never not weird um, yeah. So I went through, like, I, I spoke to a couple of um, my trusted colleagues and I let them know, um, like, working up to the director um, who was surprised. Um, I think no one tends to quit the month before the bonus comes in. Um, it's quite an unusual time. Um, and then I filled in a form. And of course, it was a form because that's <laughs> as impersonal as it could possibly be. <laughs> right. And, and so it goes. I, that's, that's it. So are you actually giving up your bonus by leaving now? So I would be if there were a bonus. But one of the, uh, I guess you could say, COVID, benefits of COVID, year. COVID, yeah, there's a couple of things. And one is that the, the annual results have been delayed 
so they're not even saying if there'll be a bonus but they've, they've said to be like look there's no bonus if there is it'd be tiny um so it's actually quite nice in that way because i'm not hanging around now waiting for something it's like i'm just assuming the zero and being done with it yeah it it's funny how that could work too right i think if there was like a fixed amount you would have the sense that you were losing something or um missing out on it as opposed to well every nobody's getting anything so there's nothing to lose yeah exactly it really is funny like when you start to think about leaving you start to see the the structures they have in place so like bonuses in december and you, if you quit before December paycheck, then you don't get the bonus. And then the the promotions are, are biannually in April and October. So there's always like something just on the horizon that they right. you should stay for. Um, it's just so well done. Yeah, I, I think some companies even, I mean, my former company was, they'd tell you your bonus in December and then they wouldn't pay it till the middle of February. So you had to stay around until then. And then by the yeah. end of February, you're only like nine months away from figuring out what your next bonus was. So it was a bit, um, yeah. bit of a trap. So uh, what did people say to you? Like, were there any, cause you're leaving not for another job, which in mm. the corporate world, consulting world is not something that most people would be comfortable with. Right. So it was funny because one of the first questions after the bombshell was like, so where are you going? Um, <laughs> right. And it wasn't. What's it wasn't the next like step? Yeah. And I think the partner in my team was most baffled by the idea that I'm not going to either another economics consultancy or a regulated network company. Like there's, there's, there's more to life than that kind of thing. So there was a bit of a shock um, when I said, I'm actually going to make online courses and be a coach and go traveling. Um, and take a year out kind of thing. And I'm framing it a little bit like a career break as uh, for the conversational purposes. Yeah. Because I've been working right. now for 10 years. Um, it, like It's all in the same industry, essentially. It's not weird to take a year off. Um, and yeah, I think that that's fine. Um, I think everyone has said, it's a weird time to go traveling, isn't it, Michael? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Because like, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, but it's just been a funny kind of nod to the fact that this is a weird time to do this. But that's not the only reason I'm doing it. So, Well, you, well that's actually interesting. You said it's normal to take a career break because in the U.S. work culture, that would I don't think that would be the case. I'm seeing more of it, but it's mm. very, very abnormal to actually take a career break. So I wouldn't say it's common, but it's not unheard of. Yeah. It's something that I know some people who have done it and then they've come back and carried on with their, you know, a different job, but they've carried on with the, the ladder, if you like. Um, so framing it that way, I think people kind of latch onto it. Um, and it's worked out quite well in that regard, I think. Um, I think saying, like, I'm going off to make online courses, that would be outside the understanding of people. Right. I need something to kind of like, I'm doing that as well. But right. the main reason is actually this thing, right? Yeah, it's funny how we we still need those career narratives. I think when I was leaving, it was I'm going to be a freelance consultant. And that was something right. people understood. I think deep down, I knew there was something else that might emerge. Um, but I can't really say like, oh, I just want like more time to kind of like wander and see what life brings me. People yeah. are like, crap, <laughs> that's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. But it, but I did have, I did have a lot of weird reactions and it never occurred to me that what I was doing was weird until I left. People would say things like, oh man, I wish I could do what you're doing, but like, how would I pay rent? And yeah. these were people that made much more money than me. And I would, I couldn't make sense of it because, um, it was like, well, of course they have more money. But I think people conceptualize, like, I need to make money this month for this month's expenses, which is something yeah. that's very specific to kind of career-minded people. Mm. Yes, agreed. And I've been careful not to frame things in a way that get my colleagues defensive. Like, if I start saying stuff like, well, you know, this whole thing is bullshit, right? <laughs> then um, I'm not going to get a particularly great reaction or, like, make them question 
you know, their choice is too much. I don't want to come across as condescending or like they've made bad choices or like I'm judging them. Um, so finding kind of a middle ground there has been useful. Um, and just on your point around the, the mindset shift around like, yeah, how would I pay rent is something that is in my head a lot as well. So I think I'm grateful in many ways that this lease here is ending. So like, I'll be here for a month of high cost and then something else will have to happen and I can deal with that. But I still have in my mind, there's a kind of anxiety of like, how am I going to structure my coaching and online online courses and whatever to directly replace my corporate income? <laughs> it's... I even, even though like in my head, I intellectually knew I had savings and money didn't matter. It was still this mm. like dollar amount I had in my mind. This is what I made last year. Yeah. Um, I'm always thinking, oh, I'm making less than last year. It was in my mm. mind so deeply. And it, the thing that changed it for me was not actually matching that amount or anything. It was becoming comfortable with living on less. So it was actually cutting my expenses and realizing I could. It was kind of this like, oh, I always had this hidden move, but I didn't know because the increasing salaries kept me from making these kind of decisions. Yeah. Um, which is to say, we'll, we'll have to check back in in six months and like, see how your mind has, has shifted on this. But I, I think that mindset is totally normal, um, in terms of how you're going into it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, actually, because like right now, I think that my mindset is very similar to what it was in August when we last had a conversation. Like it hasn't really sunk in yet that I've just quit my job and that in a few months time, I will be both homeless and unemployed <laughs> compared to like now, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, yeah, the transformation that will come up, I think, just by not having a job, not living in the place that I could only afford by having the job and like service to my job, you know, kind of a total work kind of thing. Um, it's going to be really interesting um, and just watching it unfold and kind of un undo itself with time. Yeah. I mean, what are you scared of the most? Like what, what, what are you worrying about the most uh, right now? I think I'm, I'm worried that I will, ha I get what I want and then realize that I don't want it. Maybe yeah. like I'm looking for something and then like I get it and like, Oh, this isn't it. What have I done? <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, there's this weird tension of kind of saying, here's the things I'm going after, here's why I'm doing this, and then wanting to actually be consistent with what you say. I think we yeah. all have this impulse. And then for me, especially in the first couple of years, it's like, what if I'm bullshitting myself? What if I don't actually right. want this? Like, that will be so embarrassing if I like <laughs> go back and get a job. And a lot of my writing now, I talk about the benefits of exploring alternative work. And I've had yeah. friends say to me, like, you can't ever go back and get a full-time job. Like, <laughs> you're the one person that gives me hope. And I'm like, oh, crap, what kind of trap have yeah. I created for myself? I know what you mean. Um, and I found myself doing lots of, like, rationalization in my mind of, like, how would I come back into work if I do? Um I first of all, even reminding myself, look, I've had a 10 year career. It's pretty good. Even if I like fail at this thing, I will sort of had that year off that I was framing it as, and that would be useful in itself. But then I think as well, like, okay, I've had a year to think about what I really want. I might come back into a job I like more. I've had more time to think about like the right kind of job. And even like the, the next layer of rationalization is like, look, I'll also have built, if not like an amazing online course, I'll have something. And that will like be a side income that I can use to like reduce the need for a high income corporate job or do a four day week and that kind of thing. So like all these like excuses to myself of like, no, it's okay that you're quitting and doing this thing because you can like tell the tell a story later on that will make sense. <laughs> yeah, well the the career story impulse is so strong. And mm. to like not have a story, especially when you're living in a place like London, can feel like you're crazy. <laughs> I think yeah. this, this has been one benefit of me kind of like living in different places around the world mm -hmm. instead of like New York or Boston is like, I'm not spending all my time around people who are like, well, what are you doing? What are you going to do next? Aren't you worried about money? Yeah. Aren't you worried about the next step? And um, kind of give myself space to like breathe and 
kind of just realized that there are more stories than just that one progression. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's, there's two things that come up for me there. One is just a funny story from today and that my, my girlfriend is applying for British citizenship, like right now, and she needs like some um, like referees, basically. So like, I'm British, I can say, yes, I know this person. And I asked for like the occupation, like my occupation. <laughs> and today I wrote strategy consultant. And like, it's a good thing you ask me now and not in three months when I'll be like life coach and course creator. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't look very good on forms, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, and, the bu- yeah. The bureaucracies always want to know your occupation. This, this yeah. happens to me all the time. Like if you go to the doctor, you have to fill out occupation, right? And I want to just be like, <laughs> I, I don't even know what to put anymore. I don't know what my occupation is. It's like basically like hacking a living, but I'm not going to write that. I typically no. <laughs> just write consultant because that's broad yeah. enough to mean everything and nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Some kind of vagrant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> play around with those words. But yeah, uh, there's something really powerful that you write about the, the narrative that we're held in. Um, so like all of my friends have these full-time jobs and they, they've been coming with me on this journey and I've been kind of like, not not even convincing them, but like kind of gently taking them on my journey so that they now can see what I'm doing. But a year or two ago, they were it's just like very confusing. So I've had to like take my closest friends on this path that I'm going on, and now they kind of get it and believe that I can do it. But most people, it's it's just so outside their experience. Yeah, and what about like parents or family members, or is anyone like they're usually the most stressed about these? kind of leaps i think actually i'm very lucky with this one because my parents are very supportive only in as much as the fact that i think i've i've made some good choices in the past that scared them like oh i quit that job to do that job or i did that and it worked out fine so their view now is just like look you seem to know what you're doing just <laughs> have fun <laughs> kind of thing but also because like my my career has been very different from theirs yeah um so i i've been much more I don't use some high flying but like having a, a career that like is high status um they didn't really have that so i already stepped into a different world to some extent that they they couldn't quite track they couldn't understand for a long time so now it's just like oh he's just doing his thing sure um nice. which is quite it's quite nice to not have to like argue back or justify or defend myself with them and so how much time do you have left uh at your job and how are you thinking about uh, the transition now <laughs> I have about two and a half months, um, so I'll be done the end of January. Oh, wow. Um, so do you have to give that much notice? Yeah, contractually, it's a three-month notice period. Oh, my God. Uh, this is where the yeah. U.S. is so different. Like, yeah. I, I, um, I actually did negotiate like a longer leave, but the, my mm-hmm. boss was like trying to rush me out the door. Um, <laughs> no, they might people, try to keep you for longer. Yeah, typically people leave in like two weeks um, in the U.S. Um, that's like so. I find that scary. scary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I, um, I'm I'm grateful for the three months because it gives a sense of like a slow transition. Um, although what it does mean is that it's hard to maintain motivation. I think. Uh, yeah, like, almost like impossible, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I have a strong sense of like certain projects I'm doing. I just like I just want this to be done. I don't <laughs> want to be doing this anymore. This is this is not my long term. Um, and yet I'm going to be paid, you know, a, a big chunk of cash still for that three months. So it's it's hard to argue too much. Um, yeah. Anything else on your mind right now, or um, that you want to say to your future self that you'll listen back <laughs> to? <laughs> to my future self. Wow. Um, I guess my feeling right now is like reassure him that don't worry, you've thought this through. Everything's going to be fine. Um, I know you're unemployed and about to be like leaving your house, uh, but don't worry, I'll be okay. There are plenty of safeties. Actually, one thing I will share is um, I did Tim Ferriss's fear setting exercise. Oh, nice. Yeah. That. And that was so clarifying. That was so good. Um, just to get all the, all the worries down. Um, all the things I could do to prevent the, the worst cases and make it better if they do happen. But then just like the best part was like, what if I, what if this works? 
And what if <laughs> what if I don't do this? Like if three years time, if I don't do this, like oh, that's a terrible life. I can't I can't live with that. I can't deal with that. Okay, this is fine. I, this is good. Go, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the uh, so that's like one of the things I recommend. I created a template for people to use for this. Uh, it's one of the things I push people to do when they're taking a leap. And I think two things from that. Well, one is just the research on regrets. People regret mm-hmm. the choices they didn't make rather than the yeah. choices they did make because researchers found that people actually can just make choices to fix their mistakes. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then on the Tim Ferriss, it, so it basically asks like, um, what are you doing? What might go wrong? How do you mitigate those? What are the benefits of a half success? And I think that is the most interesting thing. Like what are the benefits yeah. of a half success? Um, yeah. Or even if you don't succeed fully. Um, and there's so many, right? <laughs> and then it starts b- bubbling up your imagination and you're like, oh my God, there's all these things. Like I have to go do this. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's such a cool um, exercise. And then it brings in the final part, which is like, what if you didn't do this? Yes. And, and um, most people, yeah, most people that do this find it such a powerful exercise. So mm. I'll, I'll link up to it as well. Um, yeah, for sure. I felt like it was talking to my subconscious almost. It's like it, it shifted things internally that were just like worried and now they're not worried. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's great. Very happy with that one. Hey there again, it's Paul publishing this about, what, five months after we chatted in November. It's April 2021 now. Michael left his job in January, the end of January 2021, and has been working on his own for a couple months now. He's doing well. Uh, He's having more success than he expected. And our plan is he's going to listen to this podcast. Then we're either going to do a short video reflection on what it was like, or we are going to record another podcast. Either way, I'll have audio of it. And if you have questions for us, I'll put a link in the notes And if there's anything you want me to ask him particularly, just post it on Twitter and I will ask. Have a good day. Thanks for listening. Appreciate all the support of the podcast as always. Hey all, thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can of course check out my book. It's sold. It's going to hit 50,000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50,000, which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community, which you can find at pathlesspath.com slash membership, and you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.